So we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43 here this morning. It says this, Now as Peter was traveling around from place to place, he also came down to the saints who live in Lydda. He found there a man named Aeneas, who had been confined to a mattress for eight years because he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Get up and make your own bed. And immediately he got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which, is, which translation means Dorcas. She was continually doing good deeds and acts of charity. At that time, she became sick and died. When they had washed her body, they placed it in an upstairs room. Because Lida was near Joppa, when the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him and urged him, Come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they brought him to the upper room. All the window, all the widows stood beside him, crying and showing him the tunics and other clothing Dorcas had used to make while, used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all outside, knelt down, and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, get up. When then she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her get up. Then he called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a man named Simon, a tanner. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for the works of miracles and healing that you worked in the, in the lives of Aeneas and Tabitha, our brother and sister, those many years ago. And God, we come before you today asking you to do the same. Do the same through us, your servants, Lord Jesus, here today. Do the same in our midst. Do the same in this generation, in this region. And God, we come before you to submit ourselves to your word. Reveal our hearts, stir within us. And God, I pray that you would uproot things, not just show things, but Lord, that you would show them, grab them, uproot them, and throw them away here this morning and restore them and pour in grace, pour in love, pour in truth in its place here this morning. I pray all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I may have told this story before, but uh, don't stop me. But so, I think I used to, I even had a picture at one point. But uh, there was a game that we used to play in. Uh, in so I was a, I was a youth pastor for many many years. I know I did my time and I got out of it as soon as I could. But love teenagers, love them. But uh, especially junior high boys. Oh, uh, my, my dad always had jokes that you know his gray hair was from different teenagers. You know this was Scott, and I'm like I have my own. This was this was Chris. <laughs> this was Jonathan. <laughs> you know, we all have the name of that of that teenager in our mind. But uh, but there was a, a great game I used to we used to play. It was uh, I was actually uh, uh, the counselor at, at summer camp. 
and I led the class, led, led this kind of team sport of laser tag. Now, we're not talking like, you know, the dark room with the fog machines and stuff like that. We're talking like the Australian military used these laser guns to train their military. Like, we had a, I had a sniper rifle that shot a thousand yards, right? And I played this one game where, uh, it, was my, it was my own game, of my, own, my own design. You know, the kids didn't know I was playing it. It was the greatest part. So I had my team there. We'd have like you know, we had the regular you know caps with the little sensors all around. We had the fisherman's hat with the big brim around the side. Well, what I like to do was uh, at one point in our in our time together, our session, is to let my team go out and he'll you know let them kind of get going. And I have this big sniper rifle, and I'm sitting in the back. I start picking out my own team. They're like hiding behind a thing of rocks, like out in this cave, and I go. They're like, what? How in the world? What in the world? Like, they were so mad. It was awesome. It was so good. And they couldn't figure out why they were all dying. They're like, we're undercover and they're up there. What is going on? And they were so mad when I, t- I was doing the debrief and I said, I was shooting you. They're like, what? No! You're my team! Really? They were so mad and it was so glorious. <laughs> but how much do we do that to each other in the church? How much do we do that to one another in our families? And masquerade it as helping. When someone thinks that they're in the covering of the Lord, the covering of the word, then to be shot by a brother or a sister in the church. There's a trendy word right now in the, in the, in the church world and evangelicalism called church hurt. Church hurt. You know, we've been hurt by this church. I've been hurt by that church. Well, normally, when I get into the conversation like this, I ask them, okay, what's their name? It's not usually the church that hurt them. It's a name. It's a person within that church that they can't go back to that church because this person hurt them. And that person represents them the entirety of the church. Well, they're all like that. They're all like that. I experienced this with one person and I'm not going back to that church. It's like the person on Yelp that's like, my eggs came out a little runny so I'm never going back there again. Those kinds of people annoy the heck out of me. On Yelp. I'm like, seriously, guys? Maybe the person was having a bad day. Maybe you weren't in the mood for runny eggs. Maybe that's how they've always been. It's, we, we go to a place, we go to a church, and we expect every single thing to be perfect and just like what it's supposed to be for our liking, or we're out. It must go perfectly. The music's got to be just right. The preaching better be spot on. I better agree with everything he says. They better not get, forget that coffee. Yeah, coffee. Do not forget that Jesus juice. But it's amazing to see how much God's heart all over the Gospels, we see Jesus showing the Father's heart. Now, he was perfect. 
The disciples, however, nope. I mean, think about how hurt those the other disciples were when they asked the Lord Jesus, hey, let us sit at the places of authority on your left and on your right. Like, who are you, dude? You were snoring last night. I saw you. I heard, you, I heard that word slip out of your mouth. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Throwing and hurling accusations at one another within the disciples. They grumbled and fought like brothers because they were brothers. And many of them were brothers and brothers. And that, you mix that all together and pfft, got a poop show. But in the church, we are a weird hodgepodge, aren't we? Like a lot of us, we wouldn't know each other ever except for this place because Jesus brings us together. The same thing with those disciples. You would never find a tax collector and a zealot in the same crowd. Ever. Or even a fisherman, for that matter, with a tax collector. And the Chosen does a very good job about showing that that distaste for each other. (laughs) But in the church, Jesus showed us time and time again, not just told us, but showed us his heart for healing one another. Being the voice of Jesus for one another. And that voice is not one of shame. Jesus' voice may have been a little bit of correction at times, but it always had the ways of encouragement. Bringing them back to joy. Bringing them back to truth. Bringing them back to fellowship. Bringing them back to encouragement. Encouragement. And that's why the Holy Spirit in His church empowers us to heal the hurt, not deal the hurt. Move this down here for a second. Here we go. These two miracles are evidences of God at work and how the word of the gospel spread. Like in the days that Jesus walked the earth, he fills those of us who now walk on the earth because he has returned to heaven. He ascended into heaven. Just a you know, uh, spoiler alert. Jesus died on the cross, but then he didn't stay there. He rose from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. And he left us on this earth, but he didn't leave us alone. He sent the helper. He sent the Holy Spirit so that he could still walk through this earth, walk on this earth through us, Amen. through you. He comes and takes up residence in you. He dwells in you to walk on this earth, continually working to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. The saints. That's God's people. Humans. We're people. I mean, feel yourself. I mean, you kind of exist, don't you? Oh. (laughs) Don't feel yourself too hard. But we are the culture setters of life in the church that Christ lives and loves through. You are his hands and feet. We are the expression of God on this earth. So when we're like, well, why can't, I mean, God could just wave his hand and like, you know, pour out his spirit and do just do whatever he wants. Well, yeah, but guess what? He chose you. He chose you to do it. He chose you to walk it out. He chose you to talk it out. He chose you to do it. 
to do His will, to do His desires, and to not only have the wisdom, but the ability to do it. When Yahweh chose to reconcile the world, to redeem mankind, salvation didn't just rain down from above, it came through God becoming a man through Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of Yahweh has not, I'm sorry, has now, it's an old typo, the Spirit of Yahweh has now anointed us, the church, his kingdom dwellers, to be the agents of the kingdom of God, the power of God coming and crashing into this earth. We are the temple that houses the very glory and presence of Yahweh. And Yahweh is the creator, God. That is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is the God whom we worship. And He empowers us with His power to bring healing, restoration, reconciliation to this world. The number one thing I want us to remember as we kind of as we get into this our passage here this morning is to is to remember and hear that these two things, these two miracles, were done to or done with fellow saints, fellow brothers and sisters. These are Christians. These things are happening to in our passage here today. So keep that in mind as we as we as we study. So first thing, Peter goes down to Lydda or Lod, Lod. Lod is the Hebrew name. And Lida is the Greek name. It only, it only refers to this, a few, this place a few times in Scripture. Uh, but it's interesting just to see our transition here in our passage. So we've been spending a lot of time with Paul. His conversion and, and you know, all that stuff. His, his breathing murder and fire and all sorts of stuff. And you know, then a friend of mine saying, man, someone needs to kill this, Paul, this Saul guy. You know, and then she's like, oh, I would have killed God's messenger. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> And so she see, you know, so we see the, the massive transformation in Saul's life. And now it's like the scene is now blacked out, has faded, faded to black. And now we're seeing it in the movie, like fading in. And we're back in Jerusalem. We're back in Judea on the road to Lydda with Peter. So here we take leave of Saul and go back to Judea and join Peter or Kephas in his ministry. So verse 32 as, uh, as, uh, as Peter went, was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints. That's how we know it's happening to saints here. So everything we go, everything is like is down to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is up on a mountain. So whenever they refer to leaving Jerusalem, they always say we're going to go down, even if it's north. So that we're going to go down to Galilee. So, but because you go down from Jerusalem down to Galilee, um, so everything is down. So Peter's focus was not evangelistic here. He is going to the saints. He's going around to these churches that have been planted because of the day of Pentecost. All these people were, were there in Jerusalem for the big festival. They received the word of Jesus. They learned from Peter and the apostles for several weeks. And then they went back home. So they've now started a church in these, in these little areas. So there may only be like a handful of them. Or maybe there might be like 20 or 100. We don't know. But so Peter is wanting to go to these churches that he used to teach in the temple and he wants to go back and encourage them. He wants to go back and he, because he remembers with Jesus that Jesus was constantly going back to places and people that he ministered to before. He'd go to a certain town 
see people come to faith in him and follow him, but they stayed in town, and they would circle back, you know, go and visit them. So this was setting the precedent for the work of ministry for Peter and the apostles. So he was ministering to the churches throughout Judea. As uh, as, as, uh, N.T. Wright would say, there's no small errand in the kingdom of heaven. It is a, a big thing to go and minister. And Peter took the time to go and minister. He followed the Spirit, as, as it says in the Hebrew, the Ruach HaKodesh, to go and do as he was led, to go and do where he was led to go and do. He followed the Spirit. He didn't get ahead of the Spirit. He didn't just say, oh, this seems right to me. He followed Holy Spirit. He said, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And Holy Spirit's like, here you go. Go to Lida. All right, cool. Where now to? That house. Cool. All right, now what? Heal him. Okay. Hey, get up. <laughs> because guess what? If this was his idea, he would speak to the man and he'd be like, you're nuts. Yeah, nothing changed. Because if the Spirit of God doesn't lead you, He doesn't empower you. Don't get, a hold of, don't get ahead of the Holy Spirit. Don't assume you know God's will. Always seek it first, before you act. Or as you're acting, as you feel that God is, that He is leading you, keep asking, okay, now what, Holy Spirit? Now what, Holy Spirit? So that you can get the next step. The next step. And he finds a man named Aeneas. Now, it's interesting. I was doing a little bit of research on this guy. And uh, we don't really know much about him, you know, at all. So we did a little bit of study on the region and his name. It's interesting. His name is actually Greek. So this may have been a, a, a Greek believer. May not have been. But he was named after the Trojan hero. Remember the Helen of Troy and you know, Achilles who, got, who, who, who died trying to take over Troy, right? So this guy was actually one who fled that battle because everyone died. But he was led by, you know, by for, the, for them, like the, this divine spirit for the, for the Greeks. And the, he was led uh, back to this place in Italy, the little no-name town at the time, you know, podunk, you know, uh, country town with nothing really going on, a little, little town called Rome. And he became the origin of Rome. So Aenus became the origin of the Roman Empire. And so I, I kind of like this, this semblance here. It almost feels like God is doing a prophetic act. That, you know, so he's going and he would, basically, the Lord is saying, I'm going to go to the Romans. This guy whose name is the origin of the Roman Empire, who you hate, by the way, I am going to go and love them. And I'm going to go and pour myself out. Like we're going to get to uh, next week when we get to the healing of Cornelius. Or the, 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 the restoration of the gospel to Cornelius, not the healing of him. But this almost like setting the tone for, for God, for the gospel to go to the very ones that the Jewish people hated. I said, I chose them too. I want to bring them healing as well. 
There's such power in prophetic acts. Things that we don't necessarily get the meaning of necessarily, but in the, mo- you know, in the moment, but maybe we might get clarity later why we were led to do that kind of thing. But it's so weird, like these prophetic acts often like just, they, they really oppose everything in our Western thinking minds. That's like, why God? Why? Do this. Why? Go here. Why? 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 Just parents in the room, what is the most annoying question in the world? Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Hate that question. Because, like, I'm going to spend, like, five minutes explaining to it, it to you. And you'll be like, but I want to eat the donut. But I want to eat the cake. But I want to eat the piece of candy at 7 in the morning. No. Why? I just told you. That's what I do in my head. But... But it's this, it opposes the, the very thinking in our mind to follow God sometimes. Because guess what? God can sometimes be ridiculous. Go and talk to that rock. Why? I'm going to look real weird. But he's like, no. Mo- Moses just went over there and spoke to the rock. Why? Because God told him to. I love this story. There's this, this prayer team that was going out and doing, doing a, it's in this book called Authority to Tread. And it's this prayer team that goes and they, and they have these like candles that they have to go into this cave that was worshiping these demonic entities, this territorial spirit in the region. And they took these candles and they were going around and this is how they lit you know, their, their pathway through the caves. But when they got out, they felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, take the candle, break it in two over your leg, throw it on the ground and stomp on it and yell the name Jesus three times. And they did it. And then they booked it. They're like, I don't know what we're doing, but this is going to piss people off. So we're looking at here. So they did it, and they ran for the bus, and everyone, all these priests for this territorial spirit were like running at them. They're like, oh, like trying to kill them. And they hopped through, you know, got on the bus, and they were like, pew. That driver knew what he was doing. He was like a New York taxi driver, getting out, getting out of Dodge. They didn't realize that that is how they show their allegiance to the God and the territory and summon the spirit. That's what the priests do. To invoke the territorial spirit's presence and domination and power. And they had no idea. But what they do? They obeyed. It sounded weird, but they did it anyway. Sometimes God is going to ask you to do things that are weird. Or that you may not just simply understand. Like, I don't understand why you're telling me to go do this or why I'm supposed to say this. But there's, there's that point where it's like, okay, this didn't come from me. This didn't come from my imagination. There's no reason why I should think to go to this person and say this or to go and do this for this person or to go and look for someone like this at this certain place. But I know it's God telling me to do it because it didn't come from here. And that's when we're following the Holy Spirit. And so we, the more we do it, the, the more we learn how to pick up on these cues, on these spirit cues in our lives. 
So he's looking more into our passage. So the region of Sharon or Sharon is known as a region of craftsmen. So this, so 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 Joppa and and Lod, Lida, Lida, uh, was a part of the Sharon or Sharon um, bank. It was basically like a long flat bank on the coast of the Mediterranean, right there. And it's known for uh, its craftsmen. In the Old Testament, this was where the cedars and other supplies would come in from Lebanon and other places to build the temple. This was the major seaport in Judea up until the time of of the Romans when they built Caesarea Maritima. But this was because all the supplies and all of the cedars and all the materials would come into Judea through these ports. It was a mecca for craftsmen people who knew how to work with the wood, people who knew how to work with the bronze, people who knew how to work with the gold and the silver. It was a whole whole area of artisans. This was the center of infrastructure for building. And so it's interesting to see that this is a paralyzed man in this kind of region. Maybe he fell off of a project and got paralyzed. We don't know. We don't know how he got paralyzed, but we know that he is a man in a place for craftsmen, but he's bedridden. So I think it's fair to assume that we, you know, fair to assume that he could have been a craftsman that was not able to express the creativity that God desired for him. And so, with him being healed, he was able to return to work, and now create for the kingdom of heaven. Because he was not probably not a believer in Jesus, because Jesus hadn't, you know, Jesus was there, but he hadn't started his ministry when he first got paralyzed, because he'd been paralyzed for what seven years, or eight years, seven eight years, eight years. <laughs> I want to make sure I got that right. But and so he came to faith in Jesus, and now he's able to create and do all sorts of art or architecture for the glory of God. And what happened when he got healed? All the region, the entire area, they what saw him and they turned to the Lord. Because for eight years this guy had been there. They all knew him. They knew his state. It was a small town. And so they, they turned to the Lord. Now it's interesting how metanoia, the word that we, that we translated as repent, is oftentimes like interpreted as to turn. Well, no, we have a word for that. There's, it's called epistrepho, is to turn, is to, is to go one way and then turn around, do a 180. So that's not the same connotation of repent or to metanoia. Because like we said, metanoia is to what? Change, meta, being you know, transformed afterwards. Noyeo, thinking or mind or that which, the logic center that drives your life. So you change your mind to epistrepho, to change your direction. So epistrepho is the follow-through of metanoia. You change your mind, and then your actions change. Epistrepho. You've got to have both. Because if you change your mind, but you don't change your direction, nothing's really changed. They turned to the Lord. Turned what? Turn, what, did they, what did they turn? 
They turned their what? Their allegiance, their worship, their faith, their devotion to Jesus. Here's the thing. Away from Jerusalem and the temple to the church, to the true temple of the Lord, where Jesus was, the spirit of Jesus resided. This is a radical expression of love to the saints in Lydda that Peter is bringing. Peter is bringing an expression not just of healing, not just of a miracle or restoration, but he's bringing an expression of love. He's saying, hey, Jesus, remember that Jesus we talked to you about? Yeah, he loves you. And so much so, he wants to bring healing to you. Because he loves you. And guess what? We're able because God is in us. And you're now able as well. Because the Spirit of God is in you. Go and love others. This is Peter following the command of Jesus. He said, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. I said all the people knew Aeneas. They knew he was paralyzed. And they saw the glory of God. Because they saw someone coming and loving a brother in the love of God. So what are they supposed to see in the church? What are people supposed to see in the church? Love. When they see your life They're seeing the result of you being with the church. They're seeing the result of you being with Jesus in the fellowship of the brothers and sisters of the family of God. So when your life changes, when they're like, wow, there's something different about you. Why? Have you been with God? Have you been with the church? Have you been with God through being with with the church? With your brothers and sisters in Jesus? Because here's the thing, miracles like this are always platforms for proclaiming and preaching the gospel. The sign is, of the gospel is always followed by the message of the gospel. Miracles are wonderful. Healing are wonder, is wonderful, but everyone dies. No one gets out of this, li- this life alive. At least the second time. Because all the people that were raised, you know, we're going to talk about here, Dorcas, here in a second. And all the people who were raised when Jesus was raised, when he was, when he, when he was raised from the dead, all, there was all these, you know, it's kind of a missed opportunity sometimes for people to preach. Like, there were people that were coming out of the graves when Jesus rose from the dead. Like, what happened to us talking about them? Let's go talk about those people. Like, yes, Jesus is awesome, and I'm, I'm celebrating the resurrection. But what about these guys? These people who were dead and they came back to life. But they also died again. They received in this, in this instance here in, in our passage here, Aeneas and the whole region received, saw and received the love of God. Because Peter said yes to the Holy Spirit. So then he goes to Joppa, to Yafo. Yaffa. So Yaffa or Joppa is a seaport on the southern end of what is now Tel Aviv. 
like as you can see on your, your handout there, and kind of see where it's laid out. So it's about 10 miles northwest of, of, of Yaffa, or I'm sorry, of uh, the other one, Yo, Yo, Lida or Lode. This is kind of like Belgrade to Bozeman. From Belgrade right here all the way to downtown Bozeman is about 10 miles. Because it's about six miles to Costco. So, you know. <laughs> You're welcome. But this was the seaport for merchants and travelers to Jerusalem. This is where Jonah went and boarded a ship to Tarshish rather than obey the Lord to go to preach to Nineveh. This is the same port, same area. And so what, what happens there? What, what does God do? What does Peter do? So Peter raises Tabitha or Tavita. Tavita, in the Jewish study Bible here, um, Dorcas, you know, they, they, they say like for translation, maybe for clarification, you know, maybe they didn't, maybe they knew the name like uh, you know, by her some other way. We don't know why they gave us this little parentheses type thing in here. Um, but this woman, as we, as, as with the other, as with Aeneas, was also a craftswoman. Um, and so, you know, maybe they were like, hey, Peter, because, you know, in, in this passage, Peter's not sent to Joppa. He's brought to Joppa by the disciples. And so think about this. They had already, you know, their death was not an uncommon thing in their culture. Death is a, is a normal way of life. So this woman passed away. This woman died. And she had already been washed and her body had been put upstairs ready for the funeral, ready for the burial. What led them to go to Joppa to ask Peter to come to Joppa? Or what what caused them to go to Lydda to bring him to Joppa? It doesn't really tell us, but I would say that they're listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was telling them. It wasn't like... Um, hey Peter, yeah, we need to bring we need to we need to bring her back because she's awesome at what she does. We need to get her to back back to work, you know. <laughs> because it's interesting because even like the widows were showing Peter the beautiful articles of clothing and tunics and things that that she made. It almost makes it seem like she is so good at what she did. We need her back. Or hey, she didn't teach anyone her skills, so we need her back so we can learn. We don't we don't know we don't know why, but we do know that this was, God was behind it. That God was the one that led them to go and seek out Peter and came. Because maybe they were remembering stories of this risen Christ. This was a fellow minister of the gospel to come and bring her back. Now, she wasn't herself necessarily a widow, but she was doing ministry with or for the widows which, which in, in the Jewish tradition and in the church is seen as a great uh, expression of piety and holiness. Taking care of the widows or the husbandless, the single ladies, is one of the best things that we can focus on as God's people, as we can see in this passage. And it explains these things. He says she was, she was always doing good works. And as the, the Hebrew, Hebrew study Bible translates it as tzedakah, a.k.a. righteousness. This word is not just like charity, because like, it wasn't agape. It's works of righteousness. So she was a righteous woman, always expressing who she was. She was righteous. 
She loved the Lord. She devoted her life to Him. To, she devoted her, herself to worshiping Him, to praying, being in His presence, going to Jerusalem, loving Him, serving Him. And that manifested itself through the way that she lived in good works, in good deeds. Now, there's a weird, there was a weird theology that came up in the holiness movement, holy, the, the uh, holiness Pentecostal movement. If you're good, God will heal you. If you're not good, God won't heal you. Basically, a works-based spiritual encounter. Healing. Because you did something awesome. And oftentimes, you know, they use passages like this to justify that. But that's not what's going on. God, I mean, God loves righteousness. And don't, don't, get, don't get me wrong. God loves righteousness. And it's always good to be holy and to do good works. But that's not the point here. That's not the point that he's making. The point is actually not even that, you know, Peter's ministry, you know, specifically. But the faith of the saints in Joppa. That they believed that God could. And God's spirit had given them awareness that God would that God desired to bring her back. They heard Peter was near and believed in the spirit of the Lord that he wanted to, ra- that he wanted to raise their sister, Tabitha. These two passages tell us something very powerful about God. About something that Jesus taught back in Matthew. He said, let your light shine. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, Tabitha's works did that already. But her being raised from the dead? You think that got someone's attention? Wow! They're like, what God should we serve? Hey, how about the one that raises the dead? How about the one that honors and expresses himself through the church, through his people? The kingdom of heaven is God's people and the power and love of God being poured out and put on display through you. Through us, all of us. What we do, like as we can see in the life of Tabitha here, represents the people of God. What we do and what we say represents the God in whom we claim to worship. What we say and what we do represents shift church, yes, but also represents the church in this valley. And we represent our God. In this region, in Gallatin and Yellowstone area. Like we said, you know, it's about 10 miles from here to Bozeman. So it's almost like in in Belgrade, oftentimes, I mean, like that's why there's words for us. You know, Bel Ghetto or Below Grade. We're taking it back. We're Bel Great now, right? There's always been this mockery from from you know from city to city, right? I mean, Belgrade has always kind of been like a bedroom community of of Bozeman for you know when it became more more of a bigger city. After it was very much a heavily agricultural, it still is pretty agricultural. Living in the shadow of Bozeman, but. Imagine this. They, what if they heard what God had done or was doing just 10 miles away in the small town of Belgrade to ask them to 
asked them to come to Bozeman too. Because God was doing a great and mighty work in a small town. Do you believe that God can do a great work in a small town? Amen. 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 God can do an amazingly big work through a small group of people. Think about it. The the, the disciples, how many were there? Twelve. They had like thousands at one point. Woo! Hey, Dave, let's build a new building. And then Jesus is like, eat my body and drink my blood. They're like, I'm out. It's called cannibalism. I'm out. But God can do amazing things. God transformed the entire region by these two things. The entire region. This ent- all of, y- of Lod turned to God, turned to Jesus with the healing of the, para- of the paralytic. So the question is, how can we, the church in Belgrade, let our light shine that the city of Belgrade and the church in Bozeman and Livingston would all see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven? By doing it. And doing what? And living in the, in the empowering of God's Holy Spirit to heal the hurt, not deal the hurt. It brings us back to our first point here. God wants to do great and mighty things to us and through us. We have to refocus our minds and refocus our perspective. We've got to change our mind. We've got to metanoia and epistrepho. Change what we do. For many of us, it may be stopping stupid things that we're doing that we know are stupid. Not going to stupid places that we know are stupid places. Can I just take a break? I just want to take, take a moment to say this. For the love of God, stop going to casinos. Casinos exist to rob you. They're not games. You are welcoming demonic forces into your fingers by going to casinos. I know that that's hard. I know that that's harsh. I don't mean to sound like that guy. But please, for the love of Jesus Christ, do not go to casinos anymore. They exist to rob you of your money. That's it. It's not a halfway ground. It's not like, a, oh, just going there for fun. No, they exist to rob you. A little tongue-in-cheek here, going switching a little direction. So we need to stop seeing it as our job or duty to control others' behavior. <laughs> or that someone can be steered towards righteousness by guilt and shame and chastisement rather than encouragement. And the only reason I went off like that on on the casino bit is because I felt it was the Lord speaking through me to say that. Because I've seen so many people's lives ruined. Lives have been ruined. Money that could have gone to better things, lost. And I felt like it was my, you know, speaking through, I mean, I'm trying not to be, trying to say this too much, and I feel like, 
Paul when I say this, like, I don't try to wield my authority as pastor, but I feel like this was a place where God said to wield that. We don't try to, like, guilt one another into doing things and living a certain way that we think that others should live. By preaching at them, by downing them, by telling them, who are you? Why should you? Why I'm doing this. You should be doing that. What is, what's wrong with you? Like, as if we are like this on this pedestal that's better than others, Right? Because where's the number one thing in the church come that has hurt the most people? Judgment and condemnation of others. Not just from a position of authority, but of someone in the pew or you know, chairs around the table with them in the congregation. That's where mine came from. I'm in there. If you don't, if you don't know me, I've got loads of church hurt. Loads of church hurt. Led me away from the church, hated the church, gave the church the double bird. I was out, I'm out. I'm going to go and do production and maybe host a church in my own home. Show you how to do it, suckers. Had this like, felt like righteous indignation. It was just a unrighteous anger, honestly. The bitterness. And that hurt can turn into bitterness, which can turn into a disbelief and a, and a doubt and a, and not just even a doubt of God, but a rebellion against God. Because they're like, look at your church. Now look at you. What's wrong with you that you can't control your church? But I love the passage where, where Paul is like, outdo one another with love and good works. You see someone doing something? Awesome. How can I outdo them? How can I compete with them and do something greater? It's amazing that God tells us to do that. How can I encourage more? How can I pray more? How can I step out and serve more? as almost like this friendly competition in the church. It almost seems like what he's saying. Like, outdo one another in love and good works. How can we honor, outdo one another in honoring one another? And showing other people how much we love and, and, and admire one another. Seeing the works of God in one another and encouraging them, pushing them to do more. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. I saw that. Keep doing it. That was awesome, dude. I saw you bring in that coffee after I brewed it. Keep doing that kind of awesome stuff. I saw you step up. You saw me. I saw you. I see you. Because here, there's, there's a, there is a place for rebuke. But it is few. Here's a, there's a place for rebuking, but it is so few and far between. I think oftentimes we see that that's like the whole purpose of the church. It's just to like rebuke one another. Like, you're not doing this. You're not doing this. You're not doing this. You're not doing this. You get like carpal tunnel from the finger wagging. (laughs) Double chin starts going. (laughs) As though we see that that's the whole purpose of the church is to make one another abide by our own rules and standards. There's a time, a time for rebuke, but it's not all the time. It's so much less and fewer and far between than I think we ever would even dare to imagine. It's not the main tool in the church. And it's also done, when it is done, it needs to be done in love in order to encourage 
love and good deeds. To bring someone into right living. Why? Because it's good. I see you doing this. I see you destroying your life. Stop it. Come this way. I see you're you're hurting. You know why? Because you're hurting yourself. Stop smacking yourself in the face. Well, I've always been taught to do this. Stop it. Why? Because this is the way of goodness. This is the way of joy. This is the way of flourishing. This is the way of God. This is the way of unity. This is the way of joy. This is the way of blessing and gladness. Get excited to go this way. Because that way sucks. Because if you keep doing what you've always been always done, then you're going to keep getting the results that you've always got. If you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting what you've always got. If you want to stop getting what you've always got, stop doing the things you always did. And do things that bring life. Do things that bring flourishing. Do things and cultivate things in your life that bring life. True life. So that when they see the church, when, they see, when people see Shift Church or C3, they glorify God because they see him at work through his church. They see the joy that's experienced. They see the life that's being cultivated. They see the love between brothers and sisters. They see the healings and the miracles and the peace that surpasses all understanding. They see lives that are different because you've been with God. Do the people around you in this world know that you've been with God? Do people around you in this world know that you've been with the church? Let's show. Let's show each other and show them the goodness and the glory of our God by the way that we allow him to love in us and through us and to bring healing to the hurt in one another's lives. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. And God, thank you for healing Aeneas and and Tabitha, that we may see and read and experience their stories of radical healing and the miracles that you worked through the church. God, do it again. Do it again, Lord. Do it here in Belgrade. Do it here at Shift Church, God. Do it at C3. Do it here in Bozeman. Do it here in this region. Do it here, Lord. Do it again. We invite your spirit to work among us. Lead us and guide us. Empower us to go and to obey and to obey the, the guiding of your Holy Spirit. That we may see healing that we may see miracles, that we may see the pouring out of your Holy Spirit upon all people. Commune with us, Lord Jesus, here this morning. Transform our lives and stir joy in our spirits. We thank you, God, and we glorify your name. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.